Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. If you look in Jonah chapter 1, you find that the Bible tells us that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And God told Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. He wants Jonah to go and preach a message of repentance to the people of Nineveh. Now, it has been said that for God to call Jonah and tell him to go to Nineveh would be somewhat like God speaking to a Jew in the middle of World War II, while that Jew was living in Manhattan, and telling that Jew, I want you to go into downtown Berlin, and I want you to preach a message of repentance to the Nazis. So with that perspective, we might understand why Jonah was a little more than just a little bit hesitant about going to Nineveh. But yet at the same time, it was God who unmistakably told Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. Arise and go to Nineveh. We find that Jonah did arise, but instead of going to Nineveh, he set his sights on Tarshish, a city in the opposite direction. He went down to the city of Joppa on the seashore there. And he paid his fare, and he got aboard a boat, and the Bible says that he went down into the boat. So he went down below deck. And as he was traveling and trying to escape the presence of God, which you have a better chance of escaping your own shadow than escaping the presence of God, he is on his way, and we find in Jonah chapter 1, verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And then we find that they... They cast lots to try to determine who's at fault here. And in Jonah chapter 1 verse 9, Jonah says, he said to them, I am a Hebrew and fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So here's Jonah, and and you probably know the rest of the story. They will look at it in a moment. Uh, he, the, he is hurled overboard into the sea. God has prepared a great fish, the Bible says, and swallows Jonah up. So Jonah is there for three days in the belly of this fish, and then he is spat up on the shore of Nineveh, and he goes and he preaches. It's amazing when you're disgorged from a fish how humble you will be. And so that's exactly what he does. He goes and he preaches the message of repentance and the people of Nineveh repent. But that's not the part of the story that I really would like to focus on. What I want to focus on is that here is Jonah 
He is trying to flee from the presence of God. He is trying to extricate himself from God's clear will. And Jonah ends up in the middle of this storm. And then he tells the the sailors that are there aboard the ship, just throw me overboard. Jonah knows that this is a death sentence. He would rather be thrown overboard into the stormy sea than to go and fulfill God's call on his life. So we find that Jonah was mistaken on a great many accounts. I mention the story of Jonah because there is a callback to this story of Jonah in the New Testament. You find in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus has been preaching by the seashore. And it says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he, that is Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We come before your word this morning and we pray that you might speak to us clearly from your word. You might give us encouragement. You might give us direction. You might give us wisdom. You might give us insight and you might use your word to transform us into the image of your son, Jesus And we ask these things in his name. Amen. So Jonah was mistaken. He had made some mistakes, and he had some mistakes in his perspective. And here we have the disciples with Jesus. They've got some mistaken perspectives. Because sometimes what will happen is this. Whenever you're in the middle of a storm, a storm can skew your perspective in a negative way if you're focused on the wrong thing. But the storm can also correct your perspective when you focus on the right thing, or in this case, the right person. Here we have Jonah. The storm arises because of Jonah's disobedience. Here we have the disciples. They are with Jesus, and the storm comes anyway. So what are we to make of this? Well, what I want us to look at today is I want us to look at this passage in Mark, and I want us to look at some of the things that we can be mistaken about so many times when we get in the boat and the storm comes, and we're trying to figure out what is going on. And it's fitting that we're doing this today because uh, you graduates, we're so proud of you, but we also know that you're going out into a world where there are going to be storms. You're going to stand for Christ when there will be storms that, that crash against you. And that's the same for any of us, whether we're graduates or whether we are long-term or or lifelong Christians, we find that those storms will come. And when those storms come, we need the right perspective, and we don't need to be living with a mistaken perspective. So I just want us to go through this passage and look at a few things. The first thing we find is this. The center of God's will may be in the middle of a storm. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when evening had come... He said to them, let us go across to the other side. Jesus is telling them, let's go across to the other side. You, all of you guys, we're in the boat. Let's go over there. Jesus is with them. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. That is, they took him by himself. 
and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. They are with Jesus. They are doing what Jesus said to do. They are in the center of his will, and at the same time, a storm comes. You have to understand, just because a storm is coming into your life does not necessarily mean that you're out of the will of God. In some instances, you may be right in the center of God's will, and the storm is the place where you find yourself in the center of God's will. Now, let's go ahead and say there are sometimes that, like in the case of Jonah, there are storms that come because of our disobedience. There are storms that come because of our bad choices. There are storms that come because of someone else's bad choices. There are storms that may come into our lives because of someone else's disobedience. But we find that sometimes, if we are in the center of God's will, the storm is going to come anyway, because that is the center of God's will. Now, I know in many cases, that's not a popular teaching. You listen to a lot of the health, wealth, prosperity, gospel, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, preachers, and you find that one of the things that that comes out is that God doesn't intend for anybody to suffer. God doesn't intend for anybody to hurt. God doesn't intend for anybody to feel pain. God doesn't want that. If you're feeling pain or discomfort or or, or you're, you're, you're feeling something that's making you a little bit uneasy, that's out of the will of God, completely and totally out of the will of God. Well, that's not biblical. Here, these disciples are in the midst of a storm with Jesus in the boat with them. So we find that throughout the Bible, sometimes when you're in the center of God's will, you will experience a storm. You will sometimes experience a storm because you are in the center of God's will. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Peter writes, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Sometimes suffering for good is in the will of God. Psalm 119, verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Sometimes we we get in this wrestling match and we'll say a trial may come into our life and we will say, who is this from? Is this God or is this Satan or is this me or is this the world or is that, Can, can we just understand this? Every trial that comes into your life is entrusted to you by God to give you a clearer perspective of who he is and to transform you into the image of his son. Every trial that comes into your life. Yeah, but does God cause it or does God allow it? Yes, God is sovereign over all things. And yes, bad things may happen, but God is still in control of those things. The universe is not careening out of control. And sometimes we get all concerned, we get all, we get all worried, and people was like, well, I don't, I don't know if God's in the control of this situation or that situation. Can I tell you, either God's in control or he's not. Because whatever situation you're wrestling with right now, if you're looking at it and you're saying, I just don't see that God is in control. Can I tell you, if God is not in control of that situation, if God cannot sovereignly, supernaturally govern what happens in that situation, if you trust him and depend upon him, then can I just tell you, your problem that you're concerned about is the least of your worries. Because if God is not in control of that, that means there are a whole bunch of other things that God's not in control of. And if God's not in control of a whole bunch of other things, that means that God is not in control of what's going on in the universe. And if God's not in control of what's going on in the universe, then the whole universe may be careening off its axis as we speak. So I can just say, if God is not in control of that thing that you're facing, 
then we have to understand that's the least of your worries. There are far bigger things to worry about, but the Bible tells us God's in control. You may be in the boat and the storm may be coming, but can I tell you, if you're in the center of God's will, that's the safest place for you. It is safer for you to be in the boat in the middle of the storm in the center of God's will than it is for you to be out of God's will on calm waters. The safest place you can be is in the center of God's will, storm or not. And here are the disciples. They're concerned. They're worried. They're fearful. But Jesus is there in the boat with them, and they are in the center of his will. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. Paul writes, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in the faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Paul says, don't get all worried, don't get all concerned, don't start fretting, don't start wringing your hands over the trials that are coming my way, because they have already been filtered through the hands of God himself. Paul understands the only way that those trials can arrive on his front doorstep is because God has either allowed that, he's caused that, and ultimately God is in control of all things. So Paul says, it's okay. If it comes my way and I'm in the center of God's will, then I should receive it. I will take it because I understand God's got a plan. God has a purpose. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, Peter writes, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You may be in the middle of a storm right now. You know what? The storm's going to pass. It's been said long ago that every single follower of Christ is either coming out of a storm they are in the middle of a storm, or they're getting ready to go into a storm. Hope that encourages you. You're either coming out of a storm, you are in the middle of one, or you are about to enter into a storm. It reminds me of an old fly fisherman I met one time in a restaurant, and he was decked out in his fly fishing gear up in East Tennessee, and I was sitting a table over, and I looked at him, and I said, hey man, he looked over at me, I said, are you going to the river or are you coming from the river? He looked at me and he said, the answer to that's always yes. I said, I understand what you're saying. He said, then you must fly fish. I said, I do. He said, then you get it. You're always going from and you're always going to if you love it enough. Well, every single one of us are in the same position. Every single one of us are in a place where storms are a reality. And you can be in the center of God's will and be in the middle of a storm. You just make sure you're in the center of his will. And you make sure you're following him. And you don't have to sit and say, but God, why am I in the middle of a storm? God has his purpose. God has a reason. God has a plan. You may not see it yet, but you can trust that he does. And if you're in the center of his will, understand storms are going to come. Secondly, the silence of Jesus is never due to a lack of knowledge, concern, or ability. Jesus, while he is in your boat, he may seem silent, but it is not because he lacks the knowledge. It's not because he lacks concern. It's not because he is unable to do anything about that storm. Look at verse 38. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, 
Do you not care that we are perishing? There's so much going on in those two verses. Here is Jesus himself, the creator, as Jonah reminded the sailors, the creator of heavens and earth, the creators of the sea and the land. Here is Jesus, the creator, asleep on a cushion in the front of the boat. Now, I know uh, I've, I've talked to people over the years and I had a guy tell me one time, he says, I bet Jesus was just pretending to be asleep. Well, no, when the Bible says he was asleep, he was asleep. I've had people ask me, what do you think that means? It means he was asleep. For goodness sake, it's what it says. It doesn't say Jesus was pretending to be asleep. Jesus was looking at Peter with one eye open, thinking, boy, this is going to be a great, boy, this is such a great setup. No, Jesus was asleep. He had been doing ministry. He was exhausted. He had been teaching. He had been preaching. He was exhausted. And so now he's asleep. He's taking some well-deserved rest. And he's so sleepy that in the midst of the storm, he can sleep. So Jesus is asleep there in the boat, and the disciples wake him. Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't, 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 well, what's wrong with you? Don't you know what is going on? Don't you care? Can't you do something about it? Sometimes that's how it seems to us, right? It seems like we're in the boat, and Jesus is in the boat with us, but he's asleep. And you're trying to wake him up, and Jesus is like, don't bother me right now. No, no, no. No, don't bother me right now. I'm, I, I, I got to get some shut-eye. No, that's not, that's not the reality. The reality is that whenever Jesus is in our boat, and we look at Jesus and we think, Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, don't, don't, don't I matter to you? Jesus, do you even see what's going on? Jesus, can you, did this somehow miss your attention? That's what they're asking him. And don't you care? Don't you care about us? We're doing your will. You said go to the other side. Now we're in the boat with you going to the other side. Now there's a storm and you're just asleep. Don't you care that we are perishing? The mistake we make is when we believe that the silence of Jesus means that he doesn't care. Or the silence of Jesus means that he's ignorant of our situation. The silence of Jesus means that he is unable to do something in that situation. Can I just tell you, Jesus knows all things. He's he's omniscient. He knows everything. There is nothing that escapes his attention. Jesus is perfectly and completely caring. He cares more about us than we could ever even imagine. And he's he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. So we make a mistake when we start taking the silence of Jesus to mean that he is less God than he actually is. So the disciples are making that mistake. The disciples need their perspective corrected. Psalm 22, verse 2, the psalmist writes, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Have you ever found yourself there? Crying out to God, praying to God, begging God for an answer, and it doesn't seem like God is listening. Seems like your prayers get just as far as the ceiling, and they just sort of bounce back down. Can I just tell you what to do whenever you find yourself in a situation where you just feel like you cannot pray anymore? Pray more. Pray until you feel like it. Keep praying. Keep voicing it. It's not your, The effectiveness of your prayer is not based upon how you feel about your prayer. The effectiveness of your prayer is based upon the object of your faith 
the person in whom you've placed your faith and the person to whom you cry out, that being God himself. So it's not about how you feel. You, well, I just don't feel like my prayers are getting very far. No, it's not a matter of how you feel your prayers are doing. It is a matter of the reality that you are praying to a God who sees all, who cares about you deeply, and who is all-powerful and is able to do anything that his heart desires to accomplish. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And so we find that Jesus is, is communicating very clearly that he is in control of all things. He knows all things. It doesn't escape his notice. You may be in a boat. You may be tossed about on your waves. But God sees exactly where you are. Isaiah 46, 4. Even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. So not only are the hairs on your head numbered. Here we find in Isaiah this promise of God watching out for his own for years to come. God's in control. God's got you. God's, God is, if Jesus is with you, Jesus is in your boat in the midst of the storm. Don't mistake his silence for a lack of power or a lack of concern or a lack of knowledge. No, Jesus knows where you are. You know, I, I, love, I love the Old Testament character of Elijah. Some of you know this. I've shared this before. I, I just love Elijah. I love the reading about Elijah. I love the, the ministry of Elijah. Every time I read uh, the, the passages about Elijah, it's like there's something new that I discover about Elijah. I just love Elijah. And uh, probably my favorite Old Testament, uh, Old Testament character. But, but you find that Elijah is out in hiding, and he's out at the brook Cherith, and it says, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah. He's out in the middle of nowhere. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. God knew exactly where Elijah was. God has not misplaced Elijah. Can I just tell you, God has not misplaced you. God knows where you are in your suffering. God knows where you are in your pain. God knows where you are in your grief. God knows where you are in your uncertainty. God knows where you are in, in your seeking his will. God knows exactly where you are. And not only does God know exactly where you are, God knows exactly what he's going to do. God has his plan. God has a perfect plan. If, if we could just live with the confidence that God has a perfect plan, and we just trust him and obey and follow him, and everything would be okay, regardless whether there's a storm or not do you know how much easier in a lot of ways life would be i know in a lot of ways life would be harder because the world the flesh and satan are going to combat the will of god satan has his own will that's running contrary to the will of god and he's going to fight us uh, at every turn possible and our own flesh is rebelling against god i understand that but I'm just saying there are so many problems, so many sorrows, and so many difficulties that will be eliminated if we just truly believe God is who he says he is and God will do what he says he's going to do. If we just took it by faith, receiving a report from God and responding rightly. If we just took his word by faith and just said, God, this is what you said. I may not understand how it's going to work out, but how is, how is up to you, God? I just understand the what. I understand what my responsibility is. 
So I'm just going to follow you. And I'm going to trust you. And even when it seems like Jesus is asleep, the disciples need to be reminded, the creator of land, the creator of sea, the creator of all things is there in the boat with them. They are in the safest place possible. Do you not care that we are perishing? Of course he cares. But he's got it. Jesus is in the boat with them. They are in the safest place they could possibly be, and that is in the center of God's will, and Jesus knows exactly what is going on. Notice the last thing, verse 38, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. Uh, One translation says this, and he said to the sea, hush, shh, 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 shh. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, he's been preaching. They've been with him. He's been preaching on the seaside about about faith and about trusting God and about God's goodness and God's graciousness and all sorts of other stuff. And he's like, did you not listen to anything? I mean, we were in the class there on the seaside, and now we're in the lab, and it's time to put this to practice How is it that you're still missing the point? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The final thing we find is that the awestruck fear of God overshadows all lesser fears. This fear of God that they experience because they recognize, wait a minute, well, we wanted Jesus to do something. We just didn't expect him to actually get up and tell the sea, hush now. We didn't expect that. Maybe some words of confidence. Maybe, uh, maybe a little bit of direction about how we are supposed to steer the boat. Maybe a little something here or there. Maybe, maybe, maybe something. But, but, but calming the sea? Calming the storm? I don't know if you've ever been out on open water in the middle of a middle of a storm or in the middle of rough water it can be nauseating at best can be terrifying at worst and sometimes we find those storms just just rise up out of nowhere and we and we're so afraid when those moments come we just feel like everything is out of control we have that fear that comes this past week, we, were, uh, we took a family vacation for the first time since I was, I guess, six years old. We took a family vacation down to, uh, down to Destin, Florida. And uh, that water there is just incredible. It's just beautiful water. And uh, my brother and I, one day, I said, let's, uh, the breakers were coming in. And I said, let's get out past the breakers. Let's just wade out. So we start wading out. We're, we get past the you know, breaker. We're, trying to, we're going under the waves and coming back out. And we get way out there. And we're, we're about shoulder deep in the water. And the waves are rolling in. And we're just sort of bobbing up along with the waves. And we're just sort of talking. And um, we're thinking we're out far enough. And as we're talking and we're having a little discussion. And we suddenly, as we're looking at each other, we're, we're facing each other and one shoulder is facing out into the gulf and the other shoulder is facing the beach and this wave just comes out of nowhere and i mean slapped us down i mean slapped us down to 
the bottom. I mean, slap. I mean, head-ringing slap. And we both came up kind of staggering, looking at each other. And, 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 my, and, and Cody, my brother, looked at me and he said, where'd that come from? Well, we're, we're in the water. It came from over there, where the waves are coming from. He's like, yeah, I know, but I mean, that one was just out of the blue. I didn't expect that, right? And then there were other days of the week where the water was just like glass. And you could walk so far out there, and there was barely a ripple. Can I tell you, the fear that we may have over the rough waters, the difficulty we might have navigating those rough patches of life, those, those times where we're trying to make it through the storm and we don't know if we're going to make it. Can I tell you, when you have the appropriate fear of God, you just might as well be wading out in still waters. He is still God. He's the God in the middle of the breakers. He is in the God. He's the God when the waters are like glass. He is still that God. By the way, it's also helpful to know that in Jewish thought all throughout the Bible, open water is a terrifying thing. That is actually one of the greatest fears of humans is open water. Being out in open water, not being able to see land, just kind of out there with with no sense of direction, with nothing uh, that you can navigate by, nothing you can swim toward. They say that is one of the biggest fears of humans is open water, getting away from shore, far enough away from shore that you can't see in order to know which direction to go in. And so we find these disciples, they can see the other side from where they are because the Sea of Galilee is not that wide, but yet they are out there in this water and they are terrified. And then the Creator, the one who created the seas, the one who created the land, who is in the boat with them, shushes the storm and the wind stops. And the waves die. And then he turns around and says, how is it that you still don't get it? How long does it take for you to understand who I am? That it's all okay. That I'm in the boat. That it's all good. And then notice, they have great fear. It's not at the storm, because the storm's gone. They have a great fear now of the one who's in the boat with them. A reverential, awestruck fear. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this person that is in the boat with us? Storms can sometimes be a perfect opportunity for you to get a clearer perspective of who Jesus truly is. Let's go back to Jonah for just a moment. Jonah chapter 1 verse 15. Jonah tells them, pick me up, throw me in the ocean, throw me in the sea, and the wind will calm down. It says, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Here are all these pagan sailors who are praying to their own God, and Jonah says, I know what this is about. This is about my God not being happy because I'm trying to flee from his presence. What do we do, Jonah? Well, just throw me overboard, and we'll just be done with the whole thing. He'd rather die than do what God has told him to do. And when they throw him overboard, everything gets calm. And so then the sailors, God uses this as an opportunity to let the sailors know that he is the God over all creation. And they are struck, just like the disciples, they are struck with a great reverential awe 
of the God of creation. Whenever you have the right fear of God, that fear will overshadow all your lesser fears. When you have the right kind of fear, I'm not talking about some craven, cowardly fear of God. No, I'm talking about the right kind of reverential awe of the power of a holy creator God. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The very beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, the right kind of perspective about the holiness, the greatness, the power of God. And when you have that kind of fear, all the other fears are lesser fears. All the other fears are diminished and fade in light of who God is. Psalm 107. Psalm 107, 25. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Psalmist is writing, talking about God, the God who calms the seas, the God, the God who stills the wind. And the same God that calmed the seas with Jonah, and the same God that the psalmist writes about, who's calming the stormy seas, and the same God who was in the boat with the disciples, who calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee, is the same God who is with you if you are a follower of Christ. No matter what your storm is, no matter what life may throw at you, no matter what the world, the flesh, and Satan may lob your way, God sees, he knows he is all-powerful to do something about that. He cares about what is going on in your life. You may be in the center of his will and still be in the middle of a storm, but we are to practice that right kind of reverential, awestruck fear of God and watch all of those other fears. Every fear of every storm, every fear of every uncertainty, every fear of every moment in the future will all become lesser We'll, all be, we'll have the right perspective on those. They will fade out and become smaller in the light of who God is, this creator who made the wind, who made the sea, who makes the storm, who made the land, and who can calm it at a word. Sometimes he does just that. He will calm your storm. Sometimes at his word, he will calm his child, in the middle of the storm and be with you through the storm. He may not calm that storm, but he's with you. Whether he calms it or whether he doesn't, his presence is there with you. Out of his love, out of his care, out of his concern, out of his greatness, out of his mercy, in his great power, make no mistake, Jesus is the God who calms the storms. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. God, I know there are people probably here, listening, watching, either now or later. Maybe Jesus is not in their boat, so to speak. 
They've never made a decision to surrender their lives to Christ. Father, I pray today would be the day they would say yes to Jesus. Not in order to get out of some temporal storm, but because there is life in Jesus. Greatest storm we ever face is an eternal storm. An eternal ravaging because of sin. That sin that separates us from you. Any failure to obey you completely and perfectly, any failure in our thought, any failure in our action, any failure in our nature is counted as sin. We are hopeless and we are helpless in the midst of our sin. We are very much storm-tossed, not in some temporal storm, but in an eternal storm that leads to destruction. Father, we know that according to your word, Jesus came fully God, fully man, and he bore the wrath that we deserved. He bore that wrath on the cross. He died in our place, suffered, bled, and died for our sins to pay that penalty, to pay that price in our place. And then he was buried and he rose again three days later, showing that you accepted that sacrifice fully. There's no other sacrifice that is needed. There is no other sacrifice that is possible other than the perfect sacrifice that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And if we come to him and we surrender our lives and we, we cry out for forgiveness and we surrender our lives to Christ, then we will be saved. You will transform us and make us into the likeness of Christ. We will bear his righteousness. He took our sins so we can have his right standing before you. Father, I pray today would be the day that someone would say yes to Jesus. Father, I pray for those here this morning that are in the middle of a storm. They're tossed and they're they're weary, they're battered. It's hard to find direction. It's hard to find footing. Father, I pray that today through your word that you might remind them that Jesus is with them if they are followers of Christ. He has not lost sight of them. He knows where they are. And he cares about them deeply. And he is perfectly capable of accomplishing his will even in the middle of the storm. And if it is your will, O Father, we ask that you would calm those storms. But if it is your will that you calm your children in the midst of those storms, we pray that you would do that. You do what brings the most glory to yourself. So Father, we give ourselves to you now. And Father, during this time, if there's any decision that needs to be made, we pray that you might grant boldness in order to make that decision. Father, we pray you would go before us now as we go out and live out this truth in the days to come. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.